Good evening, and welcome to the City Club of the Mahoning Valley. I am Suzanne Fleming, a community volunteer and a proud City Club member. It's my pleasure to introduce today's forum, a conversation on the future of health care in Youngstown, a subject of great personal interest. I was a nurse for 14 years at Southside Hospital, and I live in the Northside neighborhood where Northside Hospital exists now. According to the American Hospital Association, there are more than 6,000 hospitals in the United States with expenses totaling more than $1 trillion annually. Of those hospitals, more than 5,000 are considered community hospitals, processing approximately 34,000 admissions each year. These hospitals are vital to the local economies of their respective communities and are the first line of defense for even the smallest communities when faced with health threats and emergencies such as the current opioid crisis. This is why news of Northside Regional Medical Center's closing in September was such a shock to the city of Youngstown. When the Boston-based parent company, Stewart Healthcare, announced it was closing the hospital, several city officials were taken by surprise. As well as diverting healthcare needs to hospitals further out in the region, the closure included layoffs of nearly 400 hospital employees. What lasting ramifications will this closure have for the community? How will the city address current health care trends and concerns now that the hospital has been shuttered? Tonight, we'll talk with a panel of experts about these changes and what it means for the future of access to health care in Youngstown. Joining us on the stage are Dr. Ronald Winnells, who's the CEO of One Health Ohio, Lee Green, who's the Director of Minority Health for the City of Youngstown, and Patricia Sweeney, the Health Commissioner for the Mahoney County District Board of Health. Guiding tonight's conversation is WKSU Digital Broadcast Editor, Sarah Taylor. A Northeast Ohio native, Sarah began her professional career at WCKYAM in Cincinnati and spent two decades in television news, the bulk of them at WKBN in Youngstown. Ms. Taylor, I now turn the forum over to you. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here with you tonight and a pleasure to have our panelists here to let you know a little bit more about their backgrounds, I'm going to give them a little time to just introduce themselves and their um, histories a little bit and their roles in the healthcare field today. So, Pat, do you want to start up? Sure. Good evening. I'm truly honored to be here. I thank you very much for the opportunity to have this discussion about health and healthcare in the Mahoning Valley. Um, my background is I'm a public health nurse and a public health lawyer. Um, I've been with the health department for about seven years. Prior to that, I was on the faculty at the Graduate School of Public Health at the University of Pittsburgh and also taught at the School of Law. Um, have been a public health nurse, a community health nurse, almost all of my life, like 50, almost 40 years, actually, um, and worked in the community in home care and in hospice. So I have a, a real intense understanding of, of health care and health care needs in the community and, and population needs in the community. So I'm glad to be here. Thank you. My name is Lee Green. Um, currently, I am the Director of Minority Health for the City of Youngstown, uh, Youngstown City Health District. My background, um, I am a 25-year-plus social worker. I used to uh, be the Director of uh, Social Work at a nursing facility here in the city. I am currently working on my master's after 50, after I got to be a half a century year old, but. Um, That's an achievement, Lee. Congratulations. 
So I, uh, I will have my uh, master's in social service administration from Case Western Reserve uh, with a concentration in macro uh, level studies. Excellent. Thank you. Dr. Donnells? Well, I'm not as old as these ladies. <laughs> I probably get beat up after this. But, uh, uh, my name is Ron Donnells. I'm uh, CEO of One Health Ohio. Um, our formal business name is called Ohio Northeast Health Systems. We are a partially federally uh, uh, subsidized health clinic. We, um, it's called an FQAC, if any of you are familiar with that term. But um, I've been a, I'm a pediatrician by education and training, but haven't practiced for about 25 years, so I've been doing administration and so forth. We started our organization in 1986, uh, right after my residency at Todd Children's Hospital, which no longer exists. Uh, but, um, but anyway, I saw the need for um, health care delivery to the poor. Back then, back in the early 80s, very few medical professionals took uninsured, underinsured, and Medicaid patients. So we wanted to create a safety net clinic, and that's how we started. But as the years went on and healthcare policies changed, we grew tremendously, and we have a very, very large organization now. So, uh, so anyway, that's what I do. Um, I, um, my educational background is I am a physician. I'm an uh, MD from the University of Kentucky. No Kentucky folks. Um, and I have an MBA from the uh, George Washington University from, in Washington, D.C. So that's it. I, thank you. One of the things I wanted to start um, talking about is just your connections to Northside Hospital. It's a building. It's a facility. But when we think of a hospital, we go there for care. So I think there's a connection that is more intimate because you go there when you're in a vulnerable position, usually. Um, and so I just wonder if you can kind of talk about your relationship historically to Northside Hospital or what was Northside Hospital. Pat, you want to start? Wow, I could go back quite a few years. Um, as a nursing student at YSU, I was definitely on the floors of Northside Hospital. Um, my mother passed away at Northside Hospital um, in 1981. Um, my dear friend Jan Strasfeld and I owned a home care business together called Dacus Nursing Systems, and we sold it to West Reserve Care Systems back in the day when they were still a not-for-profit organization. Um, that was actually very profitable, enabled me to go to law school, which was wonderful. So <laughs> it all worked out well for them and for me as well. But um, just also over the years, um, when it was a not-for-profit hospital, it was very engaged in the community. Um, a lot of philanthropy, a lot of fundraising, and so they were always at the table. Um, that changed a bit over the years as the not-for-profit status changed, um, and they weren't quite as active in the community, but a lifelong work with Northside when it was Youngstown Hospital Association and the West Reserve Care System. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Lee, you said you were born at Northside Hospital. Okay, so yes, I don't know if that was when they finally opened for business. <laughs> uh, no, 1929, I don't think okay. they were born then. <laughs> So, yes, I was actually born in um, Northside, and, and I think that that is probably uh, some of the, some of the, the kind of sadness that I have is that the maternity um, section is gone. And, but also, as a director of social service at Danbridge Nursing Home, we used to go to Northside to uh, engage with our, our soon-to-be residents or go up to visit our residents there, so um, we had a, a, a connection there, and actually, um, Dr. Ernest Perry, who uh, was resident there, uh, chief, chief surgeon there um, at the time, he would uh, he he actually uh, helped 
as far as doing medical director duties there at the nursing home. So we would actually come and check out his patients. And so we had a, a really good connection with Northside and kind of missed that. Yeah, good working relationship. Good working relationship. Yeah. Thank you. And Dr. Knauss, you did your residency mm -hmm. at Todd Children's Hospital. Well, I came from the University of Kentucky to Todd Children's for my pediatric residency program. Uh, I chose Todd's because it was a community-based hospital system. I could have gone to a more academic type of uh, center, but I went there because I wanted to learn about the nuts and bolts of pediatric practice. And it was a great program. Some of you may have remembered Dr. Dodson, Dr. Wagner. Those were my mentors, uh, wonderful people. And um, uh, I, I told Sarah earlier, I even have my initials carved on one of the banisters. Uh, uh, I know exactly where it is, too. Um, <laughs> Uh, I, won't, I, I won't tell you what else I wrote on it, uh, <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, one of the three AMs. But, um, but all my formal educational training in pediatrics came from Todd Children's, and I, I owe that uh, hospital system uh, all my education uh, types of things from, from uh, my pediatric practice. So. Anyway, um, but years after that, uh, my organization, One Health Ohio, dealt a lot with Northside Hospital, not just pediatrics, but, but the whole gamut of uh, medical practice there. So uh, over the years, I saw all the changes. We started, I was there when it was YHA, uh, then it was Western Reserve Care System, then it was Forum, and then the Valley, what is it, Valley Health, and then uh, Steward. So uh, I saw all the changes. And, uh, and I'm sad, too. Uh, a lot of life events has occurred with, for me over there, too. And so, um, it, when, it, uh, when the closure was announced, mm -hmm. it, there was some coverage that indicated city officials were shocked mm -hmm. by that happening. Were any of you surprised when that happened, when you heard that, having watched these developments over the years? I don't need to start every conversation. Oh, okay. I, I don't think that those of us in the healthcare field were tremendously surprised. Um, the census had dropped considerably. Um, I, I think the, the number of be people filling beds. Yeah. Um, the beds were, you know, the bed census was quite low. The number of deliveries was quite low. Um, in fact, I had been asked at the time that there was even a point where the, the deliveries were so low that and the lack of pediatric intensive and. Whatnot, the kinds of services that you would really need for a high-risk infant weren't available there. And so it was almost a disservice. So I wasn't really surprised when it closed. What I think probably city officials were so surprised by is really the stun of, is there nothing else we could do? And all of the people and the employees that are impacted and the neighborhood that was impacted. So I think that's the stun of it more than the surprise of that it was no longer an, a, 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 kind of a viable survivable, entity, yeah. right, a viable entity, exactly. I kind of feel the same way as Pat. Um, over the years, you could see the decline of, of the census, of course, and, and I've actually had family members who were still at Northside, very close to when it was closing, so we could go down the hallway and there were so many empty beds, but you kind of um, look at it as being one more hit for Youngstown, and, and that's the thing that... You, you have a community and you're still in the inner city and, and a lot of those employees were actually in the city and that's just something else that, you know, we're, we're missing in the city so you're losing jobs and, and it's just an, another vicious cycle and the disparities that, that we are experiencing in the community. And that has almost a psychological impact too. Definitely. 
It does. It, yeah, it, it was very disheartening um, to, to look at the news and see the, the nurses standing there and some of them in, in just tears. And it, it takes away your choices. Um, nothing against Mercy. I, 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 I actually, they're great partners. But it, it does eliminate your choices. And you, and you say, you know, what else could we have done to maybe... Um, it looks like it was just kind of discarded with all the different changes, and I think those who could have made a difference didn't care anymore. It's sad to hear, but I suppose what's done is done. Yeah. So looking forward, I guess, where do we go from here is one of the conversations we want to have tonight. I also want to just talk, reflect a few minutes about what have you seen as far as changes in the six months that it has been closed? Dr. Dwinnells, do you want to start? Um, well, first of all, I'm not surprised either. Uh, part of my job involves um, multiple meetings with various people in the community, and a lot of it has to do with hospital-based uh, types of meetings. So uh, we're always looking at creating partnerships, uh, collaborations, and so forth, uh, especially with hospitals. In a small town like this, it makes sense to collaborate and work together. So, so uh, and I... I Ditto their remarks. Uh, yeah, the, the census were dropping very fast, and there was no economically feasible way to um, to um, regain that hospital to a viable function. So, um, what have I seen in the last six months since it's closed? Um, well, I, I've had a considerable amount of dealings. We, we again, I told you a little bit about my background and the organization's background. We are a safety net clinic. Uh, type of model, we go out and try to um, uh, fill the voids, if you will. So we uh, we are very concerned about the population of the North Side, um, and we've been in considerable discussions with some North Side officials to um, to possibly look at some of those outpatient clinics that they do operate. We uh, we are going to open reopen the dental clinic. That was on the north side that had been there for, somebody said 100 years. I don't know if that was an exaggeration. But, but, um, but we, we uh, have signed the documents and agreements to reopen that, that under our organization. Uh, so our, our view is to reestablish the health clinic, the health care access in that north side area. We have multiple sites throughout the, the city of Youngstown, Warren, Newton Falls, and, and Alliance, and, um, and that is our next target area is we know there's a void uh, in outpatient. We're not a hospital, so we can't do hospital types of things. We can do minor surgeries and those types of um, um, aspects of health care. But uh, our goal is to try to fill the void in terms of clinical outpatient management, and we we provide a different type of health care these days. It's very oriented towards prevention uh, and, uh, and, and health education and so forth, um, as opposed to the, the traditional reactive health care. So we hope to keep these people healthier, to try to keep them out of the hospital, to try to uh, have them take less medications and, and so forth. So that is our model, and, um, and that's, that's how we intend to... But, that's, that's my take on what's going on uh, there. I can't speak for the folks from Stewart because I, I don't know what their perspectives are. Mm -hmm. Lee, changes you've seen, and you're nodding with I, the... Oh, I was in total agreement, especially when you said we're 
focusing on the preventative. And uh, working with Pat and, and so many others, we, the Community Health Improvement Plan, where we're trying to uh, work on prevention more so than addressing the acute. So if we can, can get in the mindset of thinking differently and being proactive, and that's why we need to address some of the other things in the community as far as transportation and, and um, the food desert and, and so forth. So those are the things that we need to do. But I think that there's a great community effort um, that we, we are working together as a community. So you might not have that acute care where there's emergency services that are readily available other than downtown or in Boardman. But uh, working on the preventative side, I think that we've, had, we've made great gains on that and we're still you know, we're, we're addressing sidewalks and, and bike riding and, and, and those types of things, you know, making the community safe is huge and they have a big initiative going um, probably in what, the middle of April or so that uh, fighting crime. So those are the things that, you know, we really need to address to make the city healthy so that our community can thrive. Yeah. Can I make a comment? Sure. Um, so you know, I'm a big believer in uh, the sun always shines after a storm. So this was a bad storm that we just had. Um, but it's forcing us to change our methods and model of, of healthcare delivery practices. And, uh, and so some of the things that we're looking at now is more of a popul social population healthcare type of uh, concept. So uh, I think many of you know that we purchased the bottom dollar general store or grocery store. I say general, grocery store down in Glenwood and Indianola. Well, we have this futuristic healthcare model plan over there. So we want to put a greenhouse there. We want to have a community kitchen there. We want to um, have a walking track. We want to have a green space where we can teach yoga and tai chi and, uh, and do all kinds of cool things. Because to me, that is the future of healthcare. That's where we have to do it. And, and, and not, we're not being forced to do this, but, but it's forcing us to rethink how we deliver healthcare. We plan on developing urgent cares at most of our sites. So we, we, we currently have 10 different buildings at this point. You know, think about, okay, so we don't have a hospital, but now we have multiple areas where you can get after hours care for, for these urgent types of care. So uh, again, I think, I do believe that the sun does rise after a storm or the sun, whatever. But I think it does do that, and that's, that's what we're... So I'm looking at it from a good perspective. Um, that I'm not saying that Northside closure was a really good thing, but, but it is what it is, and we need to, to make some changes to, to go with it. So I just wanted to throw that in because you reminded me of a few things. That I'd like to add, too, that it is not necessarily that the sun is shining, but it has enabled us to really focus on where do we really need to be putting our services, where do we need to be putting our efforts. If you look at Mahoning County and you look at the different zip codes, there is over a 20-year disparity between life expectancy between different zip codes in the county. So where you live matters. Where you access services matters. If we don't have a hospital and services being provided specifically right in that north side neighborhood, and people were so concerned about obstetrical care and, and prenatal care, we have focused now on making certain that in those communities there are centering pregnancy programs, there are services available to women, and the transportation to get them there. So 
that we, we are focusing now on what needs to be done in the actual communities. And, and Dr. Duenelles mentioned that Southside area, that is a particularly high-risk community. So focusing those services in that area is very useful and very wise. Where the bottom dollar is. Right. Yeah. But there are lots of those pockets around the community that we really do need to focus our efforts on, not just healthcare access, but what is the living condition there, what are the environmental exposures, what kind of education, what kind of safety. It's those issues that are really going to, it's the upstream things that we really need to focus on if we're going to change the health status. We are, as a community, in the 88th percent, or no, excuse me, 82nd percentile and the 70-something percentile for health behaviors and health outcomes. So we're, we may, it's not just having hospitals, it's the circumstances in which people are living. That, that's what we have to change. And, and these are some of the things you identified in this community health improvement plan yes. that you did. Tell us a little bit more about that and what were the key things that were identified as being factors. Lee mentioned some of them, but if you right. could talk a little bit more about right. them. Well, since about 1998, the community has come together with large organizations from all walks of the, of the community to develop a, to conduct a community health assessment and then do a community health improvement plan. And the assessment gathers all the data, the demographic data, the socioeconomic data, the education, rental properties, you name it. I mean, it really looks through all the facets of life, Um, whether you have access to a car, how close you live to a fixed bus route, all those kinds of things. And we identified five health priorities in the community in the last community health plan, which was developed in 2014. Those five priorities were healthy eating and active living. If you can focus your efforts on healthy eating and active living, you decrease your likelihood of any kind of chronic disease and cancer two very big causes of death in our community. Actually, cardiac disease, cancer, um, dementia are the three leading causes of death. Then you get into CVA stroke and um, pulmonary disease. So if we can focus on healthy eating and active living, we are making real strides in our health status. The next was infant mortality. We have an infant mortality rate in in this community. There are nine nine urban centers in the state of Ohio that have responsibility for 48% of the births but 98% of the deaths of infant deaths. That's a death of an infant born before, or that dies before its first birthday. 98% in those nine communities, and unfortunately, we're one of them. Our African-American infant mortality rate is over 18. Our white infant mortality rate is 5.2, 5.4. That's dramatic. So what is happening for our, our, our black infants? So working on the, the issues that are surrounding the lifestyles and the life and the health of those women is one of the priorities. The third is chronic disease, particularly diabetes, because diabetes rates are very high in this community. Um, fourth was substance use. You can't pick up a newspaper without knowing that opioids and fentanyl are a problem in the community. It wanes year to year. It goes up, it goes down a little bit, but we're still nowhere near where we need to be. We have put in place all kinds of work with physician practices on uh, following prescribing patterns, um, prescribing restrictions, excuse me, as well as um, a coalition to help target the areas where these deaths are happening. We have a coalition that actually analyzes the deaths and finds out where, what the risk factors were in those communities. And we're also doing Project Dawn, getting deaths with naloxone and naloxone kits into the community's hands for anyone who's at risk of, a, of an overdose. And the last, and certainly not the least in this community issue, of what we have to address if we're going to do anything to change health status, and that is inequities, health outcome inequities. These are not just disparities, not just a difference in your health outcome because you happen to be of a different race or a different ethnicity. This is the structural system things that happen here that end up causing people to have different health outcomes, and they are inequitable health outcomes. We have a healthcare system that doesn't necessarily fully recognize our bias and our, the way we treat people. 
And that has to change. And so as a coalition in the Mahoney County, our community health improvement team is really working on trying to address those major issues and trying to address the st structural systematic issues that are keeping people out of health care, keeping people out of healthy homes. We have our, our three major issues are tra lack of transportation, lack of access to healthy foods, and um, unstable, unsafe housing. So. If we can work on those issues, we will have better health status in Mahoney County, and to me, that's better health care. That's a better, healthy community. So, oh, go I, ahead. I just wanted to piggyback on what Pat was saying as far as the inequities and addressing the, the high rates of infant mortality in the black community. So, we're not looking at women with low education or um, different social economic status. We are, we, it spreads the gamut. So women who have less than a 12th grade of, ed, of education and women who have their master's degrees are still losing their babies at that same rate. So that is the issue. And then that's where we're looking at the systemic problem of that. So we are actually, to address the equity part, we actually have a dialogue on racism that we just, this, just this, week or last week did the kickoff and this is our fourth cohort so if anybody is interested it's a shameless plug but it is also <laughs> an important one uh, we are really having a six weeks of dialogue so we are having individuals of different races different backgrounds sitting in a, a group and having that conversation that nobody wants to have so we are addressing race after that six weeks we come back together, have an action. So those individuals actually plan an action that will happen in the community. And I really have to say that this, this we have been trying for a while now. And at this particular cohort, we actually have leaders, community leaders. We, we finally got community leaders to, to take hold of this process. So we're, these are people who can make policy change, and those are the people that we want to try to address and um, see if we can make a difference. So that's the equity piece that we're looking at. So, and then we're also going to have um, a workshop coming in April to address the community leaders. So those of you who are here now, um, there's a dynamic speaker, Evelyn Burnett, who's going to be coming out and doing a workshop. So I invite all of you all, and, and we will get that message out so that that can happen. So these racial dialogues, are they a, an initiative of your department? Is that? It is it actually, it, 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 we, it, and in addressing uh, the infant mortality, we, uh, the ODH kind of worked with Everyday Democracy, and they're, I guess they're from North Carolina, but they have a resource in Columbus who actually came up and, and taught us how to facilitate and how to work that dialogue. And then there was an initiative, there, um, Pastor Jim Ray, who wanted to start that initiative here and have dialogue, and we finally were able to merge our efforts together. So we are working together as a collaboration um, to get those dialogues. So the, the health departments, NVAC, um, YMCA, there's so many different people at that table. This, this feels like a very important discussion to have uh, to address the structural this, issues that you talked about. This was made available to all nine communities that I mentioned were involved in the infant mortality. We're the only, only community that has kept that going. 
Good and so that's, it, it's not something that is funded. It is something that people care so deeply about. That's great. When I talked to you, Pat, yesterday, I wrote down this quote that I thought was very, um, it stood out to me. I see more promise than I have ever seen. Absolutely. So despite the loss of a facility, there is a lot of hope. Yes. There's a lot of work going on, collaborative work going on in the community. Excellent. Excellent. We're about to begin the audience Q&A, and we welcome questions from everyone, city club members, guests, students, or those of you joining us via the Facebook Live feed. If you'd like to tweet a question, please tweet it at City Club MV, and the staff will try to work that into the program as well. Christopher Tennant has the mic there, and if you want to raise your hand if you have a question, he will come to you and allow you to um, have your voice. Hello, everyone. My name is Julius Oliver, and I had a quick question. Um, infant mortality as it pertains to black women, I've heard is largely connected to the stress and trauma of actually being a black woman. Um, can anybody speak to that and how we change that situation? That's uh, my councilman. Yes, sir. Um, that is one of the reasons why we are actually having that dialogue on racism. That is one of the initiatives that we're addressing. Uh, why, how as a community we could kind of eliminate racism so that we can eliminate some of that stress that is on African-American individuals as a whole. Um, We talked about, I look in the mirror every day and I am black, I'm never gonna change that. And the minute you walk into a store or the minute that you walk into, you know, you're reminded that you're black because of the reaction. So uh, looking and talking to individuals and letting other, other individuals know how it is to be, how do you feel? You know, you, we get tired sometimes of the conversation, and but it is so important that at least we express how we feel as African American Blacks in the community, and and getting that dialogue back from others in the community, so that we could kind of at least form a bridge. We might not always agree, but at least we can understand where we're coming from. So hopefully, that dialogue helps. A little bit that that's just the initiative there's so many things that we can probably do to help alleviate the stress and some of the disparities as we address housing and and the food um, the food insecurity and the transportation issues but those are those are stressful things if you don't have a ride to your doctor's appointment you're not going to make your doctor's appointment if you don't you know if you're couch surfing and you don't have a, a stable place to stay that infant is not your first priority. You have to deal with the children that you have already. You know, so you, you really don't take care of yourself or have the opportunity to take care of yourself if you're stressed 24-7. So. I would also like to add that Akron Children's Hospital and the Wien Foundation are really taking some very strong steps at trying to train members of the community in understanding bias and recognizing bias and how to change their culture as a healthcare provider. Um, Akron Children's Hospital has opened up training to Bridges Out of Poverty, mm-hmm. and I know much of my staff, much of the city health, health department staff have all gone through that, and it's open to all of their staff to try to help people recognize how they treat people who are coming into a clinical setting. And the Wien Foundation has done something with Equity Institute of yeah, Cleveland. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm sorry. I have, REI. REI, yeah. right, Racial Equity yeah. Institute. And that is also providing training, two days' worth of training, phenomenal training in how the history of racism has progressed or not progressed or has been maintained in the community or in the world. So I think there are organizations really trying to take a stab at some of that. We've got a long way to go. 
Uh, Dr. Donnell, this question is uh, particularly for you. Uh, you mentioned that um, the future of healthcare, as far as your organization sees it, um, is related to green spaces and the environment. I, want, I was wondering, had you guys taken any steps to partner with the local land banks or any other organizations or entities that have a stake in the community from a property standpoint and you know what what's being done to alleviate stressors because the American Journal for Public Health and many other publications speak to the value of uh, green spaces and how they impact health conditions and so what's being done and how can uh, you know residents and organizations help your organization to further do that because it's very duplicatable if that's a word um, <laughs> And I don't know if you remember me, but I, I did my senior internship at Youngstown State at One Health with you. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's a lot of questions, I think. Uh, <laughs> but but uh, yes, we, we, we do believe in working collaboratively with various folks. Uh, the city folks have been really, really good to us. The mayor has been good to us. We've um, met with Ian. Bernstein, I think, yeah, Beniston. yeah, Beniston, is he here? Okay, good, I, I messed up his name, I messed up his name, no, but, um, but yes, uh, one of, so going back to the south side building, um, there's, if you look at the surrounding area, there's, there's uh, some high crime areas right in that area, but behind there, there are a lot of homes which have been condemned, um, they're not habitable anymore, and we would like to have those, houses, the land, and so forth. And we would like to do things like, like the, the green space, the, the greenhouses, the, um, uh, the hydroponics, uh, you know, do, do those things because it is a food desert in that area. And, uh, and that's, you know, I'm not a public health person, so I can't really talk about a lot of those things that they talked about. But I do know about health care and, again, the health care plight of, of a lot of um, groups within our community. So, um, so, yes, we are working with, with folks. We have a, a huge vision in mind in terms of delivering this health care a little bit differently. It's not the doctor-patient anymore. It's about a team approach. Uh, we are what they call a patient-centered medical home, which means that we coordinate health care. Uh, we are an integrated health care program, so we have medical, dental, and behavioral health at all of our sites, except for a couple of our pediatric-specific sites. Uh, the, the whole idea of green space is really interesting to me because, again, I'm a pediatrician, and one of the things that I'm very concerned about is the future of our kids. Specifically, uh, there's a concept called ACEs, A-C-E-S. It's, it stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences. These are the kids who are abused physically, emotionally, uh, sexually. These are the kids who live in dysfunctional families. There's gunshot violence going on. Parents getting beat up. The mother's getting beat up. Uh, it's a bad situation. We know from a medical point of view as well as a social point of view that these kids grow up to become our future drug addicts. These are the folks who are doing these opioid epidemic things. These are the kids who grow up to commit suicide. These are the kids who become depressed in the future. These are our major healthcare concerns in the future. So, uh, so what we do is we screen 
for this very early in their lives. We want to know who the kids are at risk. And then we try to do interventions as early as possible. But the green space comes in where there are a lot of studies out there. We have a beautiful park in this community, Mill Creek. Um, why can't we take some of these kids out there and do things out there? To me, that's a healthcare delivery. It's not always about the stethoscope and the otoscope. It's, it's about showing them things, showing them different kinds of things, different ways to live. Why don't we create hiking clubs for these kids? And, you know, it doesn't have to be anything elaborate. We have a lot of green space here. Um, I think I got some of your questions, but I didn't get all your questions. Maybe we can do that one-on-one. -on -one. But, yeah, you've got to come visit me again. But... But that's, that's what I see in the future of healthcare from a, from a provider perspective. Um, and obviously this fits in with the public health model that, uh, that they spoke about. I, I wanted to follow up one thing. You mentioned the team approach. Mm. And you mentioned earlier, Pat, something called centering pregnancy that I don't know that people know what that is. And can you talk a little bit about that? It's an actual national model that's evidence-based. It's where a group of women who are pregnant and do about the same time, about 12 to 15 of these women get together, and if you have a lack of social support, this is the perfect place for you because the women go to their prenatal visits as a group, and they have a healthcare provider that's, that meets with them, but the, le the, the weekly or the, excuse me, the, the visits are based on what's normal growth and development, how do you take care of yourself when you're pregnant, why do you not want to smoke, why, uh, financial literacy. Health, health and, and the care of the baby. I mean, so every month they're going through prenatal care, they're actually getting education and building a social support system for themselves. The research shows that the outcomes for, these, for women who participate in a centering pregnancy program are much higher. And nationwide, that is a standard of care. It had not been available here in Mahoning County until this My Baby's First Coalition started, and Mercy Health jumped in, and, and they are actually now have three active centering pregnancy sites, and a fourth centering pregnancy program is going to start um, pretty soon with Dr. Hill's practice. So it's now becoming a standard of care here in the Mahoning Valley as well, which is great news. And I, can I add one tiny little thing to your question? There's something going on called the community, Healthy Community Partnerships, and it's an organization that is funded by the by the health care foundations in the Valley, Western Reserve Health Foundation, Trumbull County, Trumbull Health Foundation, and Swanston, and the Community Foundation. Okay, all of them, right. So you know about it, so you must be part of a team. Okay, okay. I was going to say, if you don't know about it, you need to be part of it, because one of their very active action teams is working on green spaces, as well as access to healthy foods and active transportation, and so there's some really good work going on in the community around that. He is a co-chair. <laughs> well, He's gotta, leading the efforts. you got to speak up. <laughs> That's great. Excellent. Okay, next question, please. Hello, good evening. My name is Lori Hornberger. I'm a registered nurse at Northside Hospital. I worked there for 13 years, and also the president of Youngstown General Duty Nurses Association. So I have two questions and two comments. Uh, we the nurses worked with Stewart. I need to make this statement because it's very important. We had offered to keep a 0% raise for a year to continue to work with Stewart. We were bringing in a federal mediator to come to terms with a contract. So this is very important for us to make sure. So the question is now, see, Northside nurses used to be the voice of the Youngstown community, and there's no now nurses that are able to, without fear, to question their employer about the patient care that they receive. And also, we have Stewart who came in to our area and said, we are going to grow and give us four years, and we're going to bring the doctors. And they didn't do anything to attract 
patients or doctors. So the question is, how do we make a healthcare company accountable? Uh, that's, <laughs> we're all looking at one another. <laughs> Drop the mic on that one. That, that is a question that uh, seems to be a tough one to answer. And, and it is a Boston-based company, right? There's no answer. I, I mean, they really. The only thing that I could say, and I have no other than, it's unfortunate that they didn't get to come and see the community for itself and see what it has to offer and see the individuals that their lives have impacted by their closing. So I, I guess the connection's not there. So that's why we really want to reach upper level man, those people who can make decisions and, and let them understand and get them to understand how the real world works. You know, they're, they're in their office making decisions and not connecting with the human beings that are actually doing, receiving the services or actually giving the services. So I think that's a really tough question too, because up until the very end, right before they closed, we were, as a group with this coalition, the Infant Mortality Coalition, was working with them on a contract to initiate a centering pregnancy program at the Northside Clinic. So up until the very end, I don't think it was a local decision. I think this was a decision that was made elsewhere that... I, I think the reason your question is difficult to answer is because there's probably either no answers or there's multiple answers, I think. And, and I'm, I've been contemplating since your last sentence here. Um, so in our organization, um, and, and I'll start with the very basics, we, uh, we started out as a partially federally funded health community health clinic. Uh, and it was to address the health care needs of the medically uninsured and underinsured populations. We always had a community-based um, uh, patient-majority um, board of directors. So our board is made up of 51%, at least 51% um, patient users of the clinic. That's our accountability. So my accountability is basically back to my patients. Does it always work? No, it doesn't. Um, but it's a good model because we have great dialogue. In fact, before I came here, I was in, at one of my board meetings, and we had a two-hour board meeting about um, discussing our future. Um, and that's our accountability. So the accountability to me, and, and I think if it's a broad general question, you're asking what is the accountability of healthcare organizations. Um, our accountability is to the community. It's, it's to you guys. Um, you know, it, it sounds very idealistic, and does it always work? Probably not, but, um, but in our organization, it works pretty well. Um, and if my board members tell me that, hey, you know what, we really need, need to move faster on our dental services, okay, that's what I work with because they're the ones that know best. I don't know if that's even close to answering or even addressing your, your question, but, um, but that's one way of, of providing accountability. Um, it, did I miss the whole boat here? Or? No, it's a hard question to answer. Yeah. And it sounds like your facility, that you are doing that, but then you just have this big for-profit organization that's coming in, and there's no way to hold them accountable for things that they have promised our community. So... It was very disappointing and very blindsided. Yeah, and, and I believe we're probably the only, I don't, I don't know how St. E's works in terms of their governing, um, but I know that 
since Northside is gone, um, when Northside was Youngstown Hospital Association and Western Reserve and Forum, you know, I think there was a lot of community support and structure involved in, in the managing and accountability. But yeah, since it's been so, you, you don't have that. They're, they're outsiders, let's face it. And what vested, and I will tell you my personal experience is I could not get their CEOs to meet me very often. And when I did, it was always somebody different. Um, yeah, so, so it, it is hard. I, 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 I feel your frustration because I was very frustrated as well. Um, but I can only speak to our or speak about our organization, which is um, I, I think we have a good model. Is it perfect? No, no way. But it's it's not bad, uh, and it seems to work because we've grown. Um, I, I can tell you that over our 33 years, we have seen over a million patient visits in our organization. We have infused over 100 million dollars into the community with our business, um, and you know, in, in 90. 95, 96% of our patients are um, at least 200% or below the federal poverty level. So we take care of the poor. We still do. Uh, we, have a, we have a mix, but we, our predominant focus is are those patients who fall between the cracks. It's not as bad as back in the 80s, but it's still there. I, I'm probably way off, and, and I apologize on, on answering your question. Good evening. My name is Marty Hume. And I have a question, sort of a follow-up to the uh, previous question. Uh, I was born in Northside Hospital. Uh, my uncle Bert Katz was a surgeon at Northside Hospital for many years. Uh, so I have a lot of you know, warm feelings towards the hospital and services it's provided for the community. I drove by the other day. I happened to see some lights on. And so it made me curious as to what, if anything, is going on on that campus now. And then uh, if there's anything going on now or even if there's not, what do you see for the future of that campus? Um, well, as I, as I said uh, earlier, or I announced, uh, we, the dental clinic uh, is in the B building, I believe, um, one of the newer buildings from the, the early models. But uh, so we, what? Is it A? Okay. I can't remember. It, it, it seems like it's backwards for some reason. But, but anyway, uh, so we're, we have a lease agreement, so we are going to occupy the space. Um, I'm kind of under a non-disclosure type of thing, but we are looking at some other... <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. I, I've spent a fortune with attorney fees, but... Um, um, you can't uh, say yet. Right. right, right. But we, again, if you recall what I said earlier, uh, we have every intentions to fill that void. We are community-based. I'm not originally from here, but I've lived here long enough where I can say, hey, I'm a Youngstown guy. But, um, in fact, my mom used to get mad at me because she didn't want me to live here, and she's, she would always say, you're a Youngstown man now. I, 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 anyway, I, so I guess I am now. Um, uh, but, um, but, anyway, I, I can tell you that we have every intention to utilize some of that space, not all of it. I think they have a million square feet of space there. That's my take. I worked at Northside for 40 years, almost. Do I know you? They, they chopped <laughs> off my legs at 39 years. Anyway, um, right now, the family practice clinic, Dr. Rich's uh, family practice clinic, has been operating actually since the hospital closed. You can go there and get your x-rays, your CAT scans, um, blood draw. So those outpatient procedures, mammogram, you don't need that. Good, but uh, mammogram is available. So all those procedures are there. You can call and make an appointment and use it just like a clinic. And that's what, you know, that's what they're doing there right now. 
good to know that you're going to be moving in there. And I have a question later on. I'm curious as to what will be done to provide accessible and comprehensive chronic pain management in the area versus traveling to Cleveland or Columbus or wherever. I mean, people are going to self-medicate if they don't feel well enough to get wherever they have to go to get help. Thank you. Well, our, our clinics, our facilities do not address chronic pain management. We, we do make referrals. There's a couple of places in town. That is a significant void in, in the community. Um, again, we, we try to look more towards the front end with, with the prevention and, and those kinds of things. Um, but we, we, our organization does not have a chronic pain management group. And it's, it's a very, very big problem um, because we have a lot of folks coming into our clinics wanting um, pain meds. And, uh, and we have a very strict guideline on that because we don't want to be a... A, a mill for pain med distribution type of thing. So, um, yeah, it's it's a real problem, and uh, and I don't have an answer for you unless you folks know more about it. I really than, don't than have I... an answer either, but I would really encourage you to come to any community forum where you have an opportunity to talk with people who are going to be developing our next community health improvement plan because that would be a topic that needs to be addressed. If that's a void in the community, please come and share that. I, I'm, I'm certain I will do that now. Um, hearing this and hearing from Dr. Donnells that that's a need, but I have not heard that specific expression of a need. So please, if you, when you have an opportunity, come to the public forums that we're going to be happening. We are right now, all, all of the mental health and recovery, the health departments, the healthy community partnerships are all together right now doing a community health assessment where we're collecting data. Um, there's a survey out in the field right now. There's going to be many opportunities throughout the summer to come together and provide feedback based on we'll be presenting this data that's been collected, and you can help us prioritize what those um, health issues are. So you'll have opportunities throughout the summer, and I would encourage you to take advantage of that because we want to know what your priorities and concerns are. You're, you're right. It's a huge, huge problem. And, you know, we do the front-end aspect, as I said. So, you know, a lot of these people... Um, with chronic pain management gets addicted. We have a medication-assisted treatment program where we do the Vivitrol and the Suboxone drugs um, to try to get these people. So we're, we're kind of working towards that end, but we don't have a, an active pain management clinic. Um, there are a couple of facilities in town. I can't really comment on those, but uh, it, it's tough. It's, it's, a, it's a huge void, and you're absolutely right. And I'm glad you asked the question. Yeah. There is public education available for chronic pain management that the health department does some free classes around that. It's an actual course from Stanford University that we, we do provide in the community. So if someone has chronic pain, this may be an adjunctive kind of therapy, yeah. a way to try to do some of the holistic things that help with stress management and pain management. So that is available, but that is not the answer. Hi, I have a question. Um, you spoke about um, the abused, neglected, dependent children, and I was listening to you ladies speak about infant mortality, um, inequities, and things. Being a social worker from Mahoney County Children's Services, my question is, are you guys in collaboration with Mahoney County Children's Services? Because we definitely have a captive audience working with the abused, the neglected, the dependent, the mothers, the multiple births, the um, spacing, the poverty. I mean, we definitely have a captive audience. And my question 
question is, are you in collaboration with Mahoney County Children's Services? And if not, how can I obtain the information? You spoke about the initiatives and different things that you have going on in the community. How can I obtain this information to take back to my organization? Because we definitely, I definitely have a captive audience that I work with every day, and this is very useful information, and I think it's all about delivery and getting the information out there to the individuals that actually need the information, and those are the mothers, the children, the families. So how can I get information to take back to my organization? Okay. Um, yes, most definitely. The Children's Services Board has been invited to participate and has been an active participant in some of the coalition activities. But sometimes what I'm hearing you say, and it's kind of bothering me, is that the information that gets to the head or the, some of the leadership is not getting to the frontline staff who are working at this every day. So we need to do something about that. Um, I know that there are some folks that had worked with the Children's Services Board in the past that are now working with our Community Pathways Hub, and they're very active. A Community Pathways Hub is a whole other conversation, but it's a, it, it, our health department is a hub, and we contract with agencies in the, in the community that hire community health workers to go out in and do home visits to help address the issues that are the social barriers and the physical barriers and the medical barriers that women are experiencing that are bringing about poor birth outcomes. So the hub community health workers are very engaged with children's services, and I know that the hub is very engaged, but there's a lot more we could be doing. So let's talk offline. Let's talk offline so we can maybe get something better and more formal going. Thank because you. Because we have representatives with Job and Family Services as well, so there, that we, we, we have that bridge, but we can make it stronger. And then also we have, um, we have what we have called FEMER, and then also there's a child fatality review board that people do sit on from job, I mean, uh, children's services. So we, we, we're, we're touched, yeah, but we, we can make it, we can, yeah, we can make it, yeah. Their connection. Yes. My, my take on this is um, we have a very good, solid relationship with the Trumbull County one, but we don't have it with the Mahoney one. Uh, and... Um, I don't really know why, except it probably goes back when we first started our organization and we couldn't really establish a dialogue with, with your leadership. I know it's not you, but, you know, back, back then. And I think over the years, it's just neither one of us really made any efforts uh, because we, had a, we have two, two exclusively pediatric sites over in uh, Trumbull County. So we have a lot more kids over there. Um, and that's part of the reason why we deal with them. But... Um, but there's no particular reason, and would I like a relationship? Absolutely. I'm a pediatrician, you know, and uh, yeah, yeah. So since you opened it up, we'll talk to you. <laughs> uh, hello. Good evening. Uh, thank you for opening up the dialogue. My name is Joseph Bleacher. I'm a co-founder of an organization, nonprofit called CRCI, Community Resource Coalition for Independence. And what we found, we're working with YMHA, and like you're saying, underserved population, not knowing what resources are out there, we're actually physically bringing the resources to them. But like the lady, I have a lot of empathy for this lady here. This, um, my father was the first pediatric surgeon in Youngstown, and he was at Todd's Baby Hospital. So that has a lot of history and a lot in my heart. You know, what, what I'm finding and a lot of information I'm, I'm getting is, you know, by the time they get to the hospital, it's too late. You know, you did speak about taking the kids to the milk. You know, there's got to be a paradigm shift where we're talking about preventative medicine, where, you know, the coalition has to be, you know, before they get to the hospital and let's, let's do something where we could keep people healthy. And, you know, 
bless the industry, but it's, it's about people's health. So is there any type of preventive medicine activities going to be within the new facility? At the, at the uh, south side or just any of them? Yeah. Well, I'm, I didn't catch your last name again. Oh, okay. So I knew your dad. Yeah, yeah. Do, doc, let me tell you about Dr. Bleacher. He, 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 he was this huge guy, okay, and it, I, I think part of his nickname was Teddy Bear, um, but he, it, it, his fingers were three times bigger than mine, but this guy could do the most intricate surgeries on, on these little kids. Uh, I, I went in with him a few times on his surgical things just to learn. It's amazing what this, this man could do, but... Uh, very nice meeting you. Um, so, yes, again, our focus is al- has always been from day one, it's prevention. Uh, prevention and integrative care. Um, because we know, common sense tells you that the teeth is not separate from the body, right? And we know nowadays, and we knew it back then, that um, poor oral hygiene can affect your general health and vice versa. So, you know, so why don't we have all this in an integrated format? And that's, that's what we do. And to me, that's part of prevention as well. We're, we hire dietitians, so we have dietetics now who can do teaching, who can do counseling. Uh, we have um, uh, a wellness person, a wellness program right now for our staff, but I envision that wellness will expand. I, I mentioned this green space over in, on the south side where I'm envisioning this lawn where we can do the Tai Chi thing. And, you know, um, you know wh- why not, right? And that's, to me, that's prevention. It's about well-being. It's, a, it's not only about your physical, your mental, your, your, it's, it's about your emotional health as well because that obviously has a lot to do with, with your overall health. So it, it, again, goes back to that whole integrative concept. So... Uh, yes, we do. We do a lot of education. We don't simply give out brochures. We actually meet with them. Uh, and, and a lot of the healthcare um, reimbursement policies, and I have to say some positive things. A lot of doctors don't like this because it's different. Um, but it makes sense. We we are getting paid sometimes extra uh, to keep these people healthy. And it behooves the, the insurance companies because hey, they don't have to pay for that expensive ER visit or all those drugs these people are on. And, and, and that's, why I, I, that's why our vision of healthcare in the future is going to be much different than what it was in the past. I don't know if I talked around circles with you, but there's a lot to talk about with that particular subject. Yeah. But I think you had on a good note talking about the future. And I think, as you said, there's a lot of promise in the future, Pat. And all of you folks up here who care so much really give hope to all of us, I think, about um, the direction that the community is headed. And for all of you to be here, to be invested in it, is um, a sign of that as well. So thank you. Thank you all. Thank Thank you. you. Tonight at the City Club of Mahoney Valley, we have been listening to a forum on the future of healthcare in Youngstown, featuring Dr. Ronald Gwinnells, CEO of One Health Ohio, Lee Green, Director of Minority Health for the City of Youngstown, and Patricia Sweeney, Health Commissioner for the Mahoney County District Board of Health. Our moderator has been WKSU Digital Broadcast Editor, Sarah Taylor. City Club of the Mahoning Valley is presented by Bank of America, the Nordson Corporation Foundation, the Raymond John Wien Foundation, the Youngstown Foundation, and Youngstown State University, with additional support from the Community Foundation of the Mahoning Valley and WYSU 88.5 FM. We appreciate your generous support of City Club programming. And that brings us to the end of today's forum. Thank you, Dr. Dwinnells, Ms. Green, Ms. Sweeney, and thank you, Ms. Taylor, for moderating. This forum is now adjourned.